Yeah, American Forestry, 19 and a half. Up three eighths, very sound company. Mm -hmm. All right, so you're gonna want to make that check out. Data purchase would be the day. Whether you want to go for uh, growth or value, yeah, you know we've got hundreds of mutual funds. You're supposed to push with Bistics. I, I was just giving them alternatives. Shit. Bistics is our pick of the week. Why? It's got a three million float, the competition's robust, and their technology's two years behind. Your stock's a dog. We said, you don't fucking think about it. Stop! Hey, stop that! Hey, I'm still the manager here. This is unacceptable. Where's Moltisanti? I'm gonna make a call. You think I don't know who really runs this operation, huh? Get back in your fucking office. Anybody else got a problem with Wabistics? Hello and welcome to Trash Future bonus episode. Bonus. Uh, we have listened to your demands. You've all been calling for it. You've been adding us endlessly for the last week or so. They've said that... that after I the, will start an OnlyFans. Yes, they've <laughs> said, uh, after the experience of the past week in the markets, they want nothing more than to hear those rascally lefties at Trash Future fulfilling their long-term promise to watch and review the Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie. <laughs> 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 uh, That's right. And However, uh, we could not find uh, Patrick Wyman uh, in time for that, so... Which is it's, strange because yeah. he's very large. He's probably in the gym. Yeah, <laughs> he's probably at the gym. So instead, uh, we are going to be talking about all of the rascally market weirdness that has been going on in the last week. Oh. And well, do we have to talk about the stonks? We're mm. talking about the stocks, everyone. Oh. Uh, we've got uh, not just three-time repeat guest and now a member of the official Trash Future Directors Circle Club, Quantian. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> And we are also very excited to offer a neoliberal dad his first TF Rewards membership from our Value Plus program tier. Yeah. Uh, both uh, of you gentlemen... Neoliberal dad gets an unlimited pasta pass yeah. just for coming on. <laughs> both of you gentlemen will be walking away from this recording with an additional 5,000 bonus rollover miles that can be converted into equity in uh, AMC, Nokia, Dogecoin, uh, whatever you guys want. So, uh, neoliberal dad and Quantian, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yet again. Indeed. Good to be with you. Um, yes, that is right. We are, we are talking about the stock. We are talking about GameStop. We are going back mm. to the mall. It's 2004. We Game have frosted stonk. tips. We are ready to go to the Good Charlotte concert and play some PS2 later. That's right. Um, so Hedge funds of the rich and the famous. You want to do dumb boy stuff, I'll be over here shorting Claire's accessories. <laughs> That's that's right. Um, and on the on the TFN, it is me, Milo, uh, Alice, and Hussein. Yeah. So, look, uh, because I want to do a, a startup today as well, because you know this is going to be some vegetables. And we want to put some dessert in. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what happened, but mindful that there have been like a billion explainers about it. We're not going to spend forever talking about like the mechanics of a short squeeze, and then we're going to try to like spend a little more time talking about like 
how did this happen? What does it all mean? What does it mean about like the financial sector? How should you be thinking about this? So um, I want to just throw to uh, to Quantian, a newly minted uh, Director Circle Club member. Uh, can you please just explain sort of for uh, all of our lovely uh, premium subscribers, what has gone on here? Uh, so GameStop stock has gone up a lot. And this is very interesting to a lot of people because there's really no reason why this should have happened. There's no reason why it should have happened to GameStop. And what we're seeing here is basically, uh, and, and, and this is like the very boring, like Patrick Wyman, things have many causes explanation, which is there was like five or six things that happened uh, and they all interacted in this really weird way. And that caused this essentially huge run up in a random stock that sells video games uh, in like B and C tier malls in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and so like and, and what what we're hearing a lot about right is this idea of the short squeeze where a bunch of hedge funds uh, who thought the stock was going to go down basically shorted it so they they borrowed it and sold it trying to pocket the difference in price when it would eventually go mm-hmm. down and they could return it. Um, and there was a lot of sort of noise being made about how what happened was something that shouldn't really ordinarily happen, which is over 100% of its available shares uh, were sort of traded in this way. And that led to some sort of, let's say, vulnerability in the market, right? Yeah. So this is a very unique situation, obviously, uh, because GameStop was really the only stock in the entire US that was this heavily shorted. Uh, the number two... Most shorted stock had, I think, like 70 or 80% of its float short, and GameStop had anywhere between like 120 and 140, depending on the data source you look at. Uh, and that's like not... I'm not an expert, but that's a lot of percent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not impossible or illegal to have that much shorted, but it's the sort of thing where like any short seller who like looks at a stock and starts to see above like 10 or 20% of float short... Uh, you, you're like, ooh, this this is pretty risky. There could be a short squeeze here, and so for it to get like five or seven or ten times that amount uh, mm-hmm. with no warning bells going off and nobody being like, hey, maybe we should like be careful here, is kind of sort of a stunning failure uh, on the part of all of these hedge funds. Yeah. So is that sort of like saying it's it's not illegal to like decide to crash your own car into a wall that you also own? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want to like get in your Chevrolet Tahoe and drive into a concrete divider at 93 miles per hour mm. because you've just been accused of bid rigging uh, in like oil markets, that's not technically illegal, but you still shouldn't do it. It's just good. Okay. It's just nice it's, stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's very funny to me when, like, I would accidentally, by being a dumb guy, have made a smarter decision than all the smart people because I would have just looked at that and been like, that looks like too many percent to me. <laughs> I think you probably shouldn't do that. Like, <laughs> that's more percent than you can have. You guys have got this wrong. It can't be 140 yeah. percent, guys. <laughs> well, it's a, it, it can because when you, when you short something, you borrow it and sell it. And then that person and the more people can borrow and sell that one stock. So one stock can, like, continue to I be don't borrowed know, man. and Sounds sold and shorted. Sounds pretty dangerous yeah. to me. I don't like that the percent <laughs> number goes that high. All these people clearly didn't finish primary school maths yeah. because you can't have more than You've 100%. You've got to replace so. all hedge funds with me and Milo just looking at stuff and going, oh, I don't know, it looks pretty dangerous to me, man. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it looks pretty sus, man. I'm not sure about that. 140% of what? Dudes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, 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 
there are some other mechanics going on here as well. So we've ta- in fact, we've, we've talked about these before, like the gamma chase and so on. And again, I don't want to spend sort of super, super high, high amounts of time sort of going through sort of how that happened. Um, because I think it's, we've, sort of, we've covered sort of different elements of that. And I think we've sort of covered the mechanics here. Unless we have anything else to add, or do we think we're good, Quantian? I mean, so just for comparison, like Tesla, which is the most heavily shorted stock in the U.S., by like dollars of shares out, uh, only has five, five or six percent of its shares are short. Uh, and okay. so GameStop had 150 Cool. Uh, uh, Neodad, do you have any any more sort of thoughts on like the mechanics of what's going on here? Or shall we move on to the ideology? Uh, yeah, just that, you know, everybody has a right to uh, drive their Chevy Tahoe into a wall that they also own. <laughs> and and yeah. Robin Hood really was about bringing that kind of right to regular people. <laughs> That's right. It's America was founded on the idea that if you don't own a Chevy Tahoe, you should be able to drive it into any wall that you own at whatever speed you want. And if it just so happens that's that, the Constitution, if it just so happens that the only way you can interact with that Chevy Tahoe, it really encourages you through design elements to drive it into the wall. That's also fine. Yeah, that's um, right. So I think there's the other there are a few more things to talk about here as well. Right. Like. We can talk about um, how how on earth uh, this uh, stock was able to get to such a dangerous place. And uh, Q, you've you've talked about this before with uh, with, with us as uh, to do with um, basically uh, preschool hedge funds called pod funds. Yeah. So, so and I, I can sort of talk about this for a while. So just like cut me off or cut my okay. mic if okay. you're like, oh, this is very boring. But yeah. like. The sort of folk history of hedge funds is like back in like the 80s and 90s, hedge funds were basically a bunch of like weird guys who couldn't get jobs anywhere else in Wall Street. Uh, you know, people like, you know, George Soros or, or Julian Robinson. Uh, and and they would, you know, go out and they would try and do like the, the most aggressive and the riskiest and the best trades to try and make the most money they possibly could. And so all of these funds would do stuff like, you know, short the pound and make a billion dollars in a day and, and things like that. But they were very, very risky. Uh, and then in the late 90s, uh, this one hedge fund called Long-Term Capital Management, uh, which was founded by like a bunch of very famous, very successful investors, uh, tried to do that. And it just completely blew up and it blew like this they had, they had like $100 billion in positions, uh, and they almost blew up the financial system, and they had to be bailed out by a bunch of banks, and it was all very messy. Uh, and so after- Fortunately, I can't think of that ever happening yeah, in was, finance any other time. That, that problem was fixed, uh, and so that's the end. And hedge funds are safe now. Uh, and that's why everyone can invest in them. But so, so sort of what happened after that is there was like this institutionalization where uh, a bunch of hedge fund managers were put in jail. No, just kidding. That would never happen. Uh, where where yeah. what happened was like, instead of them getting their money from like random rich guys, they got it from like pension funds and endowments and insurance companies. And those people didn't want like billion dollars a year in profit. They basically wanted 10% a year, but they never wanted to lose money. And so the strategies switched from like, oh, we're going to do a bunch of stuff that's going to make us a ton of money, but is also very risky to uh, we're just going to do a bunch of like trades that are super uncorrelated that will guarantee us, you know, like we'll make no more than 15% of the year, but also no less than like five. Um, okay. And there's not too many of those out there. So what you saw was there was a bunch more crowding where everyone is in the same trades uh, and sort of mm. the the way that 
this was counteracted as there were these three very large hedge funds, which are sort of the big three, which were Citadel, uh, specifically Citadel's hedge fund, not their market maker, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Uh, Point 72, which used to be Steve Cohen's SAC until it was shut down for insider trading and then sort of rebranded itself as Point 72. Uh, And then Millennia, (laughs) uh, which was uh, by Izzy Englander. Uh, and so I believe started its life as a Robbie Williams song. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it did. Uh, and then the other major head fund, of course, is Rock DJ, uh, which is also... <laughs> so, uh, uh, Q, please carry on. Yeah, and, and so the way these worked is instead of having like one guy doing a bunch of trades, you would basically hire like 100 little guys and you would say, you're not allowed Uh-oh. to talk to one another. You're not allowed to like work in the same office. You can't have any contact. You can't you know, have any interaction with each other's analysts and you're all off doing your own thing. And we will sort of... Again, I'm just a stupid guy, but this sounds like too many guys. I'd be (laughs) suspicious of this. (laughs) Yeah, so so there's a lot of guys and they're all supposed to be off doing their own thing. And so you think, well, like I basically don't have one hedge fund. I have a hundred mini hedge funds and then like a pool around them where I say, if one of them does stuff that's too risky, we're going to fire him. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, and and one of and so what what I, I as I understand it, uh, Melvin Capital was kind of one of the that was like the big sort of the face of all the people who were like driving this short interest in GameStop like to crazy new heights. They were one of these like funds that buds off like a spore from Citadel. Uh, so they butted off from point seventy two, but yeah. Oh, okay. so so, Sorry, yes. so the way this works is, you know, like your first year in a pod, you get like ten million dollars or, or or a very small amount of money relative to the assets. Like point seventy two has, you know, ten billion dollars, so you're getting like zero point one percent of what they have, uh, and you get mm. to trade it however you like. Uh, and then the moment you're down, they cut your money in half. So like, oh, you lost five percent this month. Like now you only have like four billion dollars. And then the second month you're down, they fire you and you get nothing. Uh, and then every time you're up, they basically like they just write you a huge paycheck and then they double the amount of money you have. So what happens is you have these people who are the pod shop managers. And if you're unsuccessful, you're fired. But if you're successful, you know, many times in a row, you just keep getting more and more money added to you. And you're building up this track record where you've never lost money uh, because if you had lost money, you would be fired. So the people who are successful at this tend to have like, you know, two years in like 24 straight months of profit. And now they're managing like $500 million worth of SAC's money. And at that point, they basically just quit and, and raise their own hedge funds. So they say, hey, you know, you can invest in me, Melvin Capital. Here is like evidence showing that I've made money for 24 straight months. And I'm a genius. Mm-hmm. Mm. Except that I didn't finish primary school maths, and that is <laughs> where it all went wrong. <laughs> so what it seems to be we have, with the situation we seem to have here, right, is this could very easily breed a kind of, the kind of cowboyish overconfidence that would cause you to uh, push the short interest in a small cap company uh, above um, 100%. Yeah, because you've because never what's made happen? a mistake. You've never done anything wrong, because if you had done, you'd have been fired. So everything you do must be uh, a winning idea. Yeah, what's going to happen? Is retail going to come blow up my trade? Yeah, like what you're dealing with is you've created a machine where you have a bunch of monkeys flipping coins and like the monkey that flips 10 heads in a row is basically like thinks he's a god and gets a billion dollars from a bunch of pension funds and is like immediately made sort of on the fast track to just literally becoming a billionaire 
because, you know, he, during this sort of two or three year period, he did very well. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's good at investing. It just means that he had a strategy that happened to work in that two to three year period. Yeah, so uh, Neodad, uh, I'm just I want to know uh, sort of from your perspective, this is a good way to organize an economy, right? <laughs> well, there's um, there's something that you can do that's possibly very lucrative, but it's also very illegal, and it's called a 1024 scam. Uh, and what you do is you just send out uh, emails to a bunch of people, and you tell each one um, it, within each email you you pick a stock that's going to go up. Um, and you do this with 1,024 stocks, and then you know, you'll know you be right with half of them, wrong with half of them. And then you just keep sending out the emails where you do well. And then at some point, you know, you've been spamming people, but there will be somebody that you've emailed who has, who, to who it looks like you've been right, uh, like what, a whole year in a row. Um, and you know, if you do that enough, you send that out to enough people, then maybe some rich person is dumb enough to give you money, even though all they've seen is you flipped a bunch of coins every day and they've seen all the, the coins that came up the way you predicted them. Um, like, this monkey's real smart. <laughs> I'm going to give him all of my yeah, money. He fucking wrote a tale of two cities. What are the chances of him doing that? <laughs> Why? Well, I, I imagine it would take some kind of infinite number of monkeys writing on typewriters. Yeah. Anyway, monkeys don't even have access to typewriters. Anyway, That's absurd. He says he wants to short something over a thousand percent. I say let him. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, a pod shop is just like one way to look at a pod shop is like it's it's you know, the, the kind of null model for it is, it's just that it could just be that with people. I mean, maybe every once in a while, you get someone who's really very good. But yeah, you know, out of out of those people, one of them will be the best. Uh, and it mm. it's not necessarily smart to give that person money. Yeah, like that, that's also the thing, like, this is a successful model, like Millennium, which is one of the big sh- pod shops, is famous for never having a down month in like, 20 years. I think they might have had one this March, but they were down like two or 3%. So if you execute it well, it does make a lot of money, especially because you have this sort of very aggressive like risk management culture where like people are monitoring your positions and those like if you as in like a pod shop manager, like there are people, your risk manager basically has the authority to fire you and they have the authority to close out your position. So it's very difficult for you, the monkey, when you're still in this sort of like zoo to blow up the fund, taking a bunch of risks that you don't understand because there's always someone looking over your shoulder and reviewing your trades. Yeah, but boy, did Gabe Plotkin seem to find a way. <laughs> yeah, well, once you leave, once you get the billion dollars yeah. from like the, the some California teacher's pension, you know... Now you're in charge, and now you Whoa, don't that's have a really to rich have, teacher. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and now you're in charge, and now you don't have to pay attention to that like annoying risk manager who says shit like, you can't short this stock that has 140% float short. Uh, you can just do whatever <laughs> Your risk you manager is me saying, that's too many percent. <laughs> no, it's no one. It's no one at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you can't do that anymore, and then you end up in this... But you also... like. You may, because like it, it, GameStop just looks like it's this company that's going to zero, and there are some people who are make a long case for it, like this guy uh, Deep Fucking Value, or like some other people that have been interviewed by Odd Lots, you know. But to you, it looks like it's going to zero, and it looks like free money, and so you do that, and then you tell your friends who might also be invested in you that's what you're doing. Maybe they do that, or they just invest in you, and you do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, and again, we'll talk about sort of how this actually happened. Uh, the stock price shoots up and suddenly everyone on Wall Street is feeling sort of 
well, not everyone on Wall Street, but many people who might be connected to that trade are feeling very worried, such as, you know, your, your Ken Griffins and Stephen Cohen's. Yeah, that's the other thing about pod shops is even though they're not allowed to talk to each other, they're still all talking to the same people. Like this is very much like you're speaking to your same brokers at Goldman. You're talking to all of your buddies who are in like your analyst class at Morgan Stanley. You're talking to like your alumni at Harvard. Like these people tend to have like very much an intellectual monoculture where they all have the same resume and they're all talking to the same people, even if those people aren't their fellow pod shop managers. So they all have like very similar like views on what? what stocks they should be buying and what their position should look like. Do you expect me to believe that uh, the finance industry has a culture whereby it's extremely undiverse and everyone knows each other because they all went to school and university together? I find that very hard to believe. I reckon, I reckon it's because they all listen to the same podcasts. Mm. Yeah, this one. Yeah, that's all right. So yeah. hello if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's almost as though you could call uh, all of that the reproduction of social relations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some sort of it's like some sort of you've got like a normal structure and then you have like a structure that's above the normal structure in some yeah, ways. Yeah, an above structure. I, I call it I call yeah. it the top structure. <laughs> uh, so, well that's something else actually, yeah. um, really. So uh so I think we, we talk also about like about your if you're a, if you're one of these shops, right? You can you you can get fired by your risk manager or you can get yanked out of positions by your broker. I think it's also now time. Let's talk about a little bit about the other side of the trade. Let's talk about Robin Hood. Um, so as as I, we talked about Robin Hood before, uh, just as a, a little reminder, uh, bow arrow green hat, yep, that guy. bow arrow green hat, Nottingham, very mischievous fox. Mm-hmm. Yes, hates the sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Robinhood, uh, just to, for a little refresher, is a, fr- a commission, well, quote unquote, commission free stock trading app um, that uh, well, basically is designed, as you guys were, were saying, like to just make stock trading kind of like uh, a, a fun game you can play and you should trade lots. And how they make their money is uh, is they, they have a relationship with Citadel where Citadel gets to like execute on those trades before anyone else. So a lot of people are like, oh, Citadel controls Robinhood. They're front running the trades. As far as I understand it, and I, I welcome you to correct me if I'm wrong, it's really just that Citadel like gets to execute these trades first and can make a lot of money from people like sitting on their couch so low that they're sitting on their neck, buying and selling the same Tesla share of dozens of times a day. Yeah, basically. And it's not just Citadel. Like Citadel is the largest broker, I think, yeah. but Citadel is only like 30% or 25%. So there's like you have to disclose who it is. And it's like all of these familiar names. It's, it's Citadel, it's Virtue, it's, it's uh, just all of these sort of big high frequency market makers. Uh, and they all get like roughly a quarter. Uh, okay. But the way it works, I mean, we discussed this in the Tesla episode, so I'm legally obligated to just go back and plug my prior appearance on your show. Uh, but in, in, in short, market makers like to interact with retail traders because they know if a retail trader places a trade, that's it. Like if, at our hedge fund, you know, we were to buy, you know, 500 shares of a stock, that's probably a component of like a 50,000 share order. And we're going to go place 100 more of those orders and drive the price in one direction. So our flow is very adverse. Whereas if you are placing a five share order for Tesla, that's it, you're done. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so they can they can match against it confident that like, they're not going to move the price. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of like people talking about about conspiracy theories about like what's what like these different sort of market makers have been doing, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but also, I think like we talked about as well as Robinhood uh, has, as GameStop has sort of shot up from 
you know, 20 to 40 to 50 to 60 dollars, eventually sort of going north of sort of 400 and then settling in the sort of mid 350s, Robinhood has had to take all of these extraordinary actions where it has halted trading, it has yanked people out of positions. Um, it has restricted, even when it brings trading back, it's like you can buy one share at a time, that's it. Um, and, you know, I, and a lot of people have been sort of, even like people in Congress and stuff, like people, I don't know, maybe you should know better. Yeah, a- a- AOC threw herself in front of this fucking bus for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are saying, oh, this is criminal, this shouldn't be allowed. Um, and, you know, we've talked about Robinhood a little bit um, as a victim of its own success. So, uh, uh, Neo, that I kind of want to throw to you for this a little bit here. Can you sort of like take us through it a little bit? Yeah. So what Robinhood really wanted to do was um, kind of uh, for the customers, for the retail investors, um, gamify trading as much as possible. So make it so that it was very easy for people to trade and that it was painless and critically that it didn't cost anything. So if you go to, for example, like most, um, like if you go through a bank and you, you try to buy single name securities, or if you go through like Vanguard and you try to buy single name securities, meaning individual stocks or options, they'll charge you some kind of commission. And like in theory, what that's for is that you're going through them, you're placing a trade, and you, um, um, they have to go find a buyer for you. Um, and you're paying them some commission so that they will go do that. So Robinhood doesn't do that. Um, they, when you buy or sell a stock on Robinhood, it looks like it's free. But the way that... So what they really do is they charge you kind of like a statistical commission, you could think of it as, um, by sending by routing the order flow to uh, Citadel uh, or to Virtue or any of these high frequency trading groups. Uh, and, you know, it's not unreasonable because, you know, you're if you're getting something for free, then, you know, you're the product, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're a Robinhood trader, you get like slight, you're going to get slightly lower returns than you would otherwise. Uh, and you don't pay a fee. And basically, instead of taking like a flat, like half a percent or something of your trade, um, Citadel just says like, we'll just take the information and we'll work it out. And yeah, it's probably going to be, you got lower returns. Yeah. People got like really mad about this when they figured it out. Uh, and so like w- once a lot of people started using Robinhood, they started like realizing that these orders were being sent to Citadel. And what really happened to Robinhood is that they, um, they are kind of learning the hard way that when you dupe people with marketing about like democratizing trading and that they have a right to believe or they, that they have a right to like commission free trades or to trade options, uh, that when you dupe people, they actually do believe you. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> we were obviously lying. What are you guys getting so like? We lie all the time. What do you think we say to our investors? The truth? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just this classic, like talking out both sides of uh, of your mouth. Like what the, you know, the, the marketing says nice stuff. And then the terms and commissions basically say, you know, yeah, you know, if we really need to, we can just. If we really need to, we can just like, come to your house and repossess your stuff and give it to Ken Griffin. Yeah. Um, we exactly. hope we don't have to, but that's we we leave our options open. Um, 
And so you're saying is Ken, Ken Griffin is going to end up with just tons of Funko Pops and <laughs> Avengers hats, <laughs> the, content, the contents of various loot crates. A lot of like lightly soiled flashlights. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, all right, Ken Griffin. Yeah, he, Ken Griffin just like using Robin Hood to rob everyone's house like the Home Alone bandits just taking all their all their just nonsense crap. Yeah, that's so right. Ken Griffin's um, slipping over on marbles. To yeah. finally answer the question of like how Robin Hood yeah. is a victim of its own success, it basically had a bunch of people who believed this and who I think really started, you know, one way you could look at it, uh, uh, their like coordinated activity on on um, Wall Street bets um, is that they were basically like trying to troll this forum. Um, and they were, I think, basically um, trying to just like make crazy things happen that were harder for for Citadel to predict. And it was really only because Robin Hood got so popular that so many people, you know, actually had this idea in their heads that uh, they were, that they had a right to this, um, to like commission free trades uh, and to, you know, beat the banks at their game when of course, like, you know, it was never about that for Robin Hood. It was about the, you know, it was about making money, um, which it will be for any other business, but yeah, you know, they were success here. I mean, this is just another case of like, surely large corporation is actually my friend. Like their marketing material seems like, like they've got a lot of like smooth round buttons and white interfaces and they, they talk about how, how much they like me. Uh, they yeah. definitely won't screw me over like the second that becomes profitable for them. If a, if, a, if a CEO wears a t-shirt and a pair of like dry wash jeans, they're, they're your friend and you should, you should trust hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When mm. Vanguard, you know, when Vanguard puts up something and says, um, says, "Are you sure you want to trade this option?" They're really just trying to keep you down. When they start, that's right. They <laughs> tell you that you, you might be required to liquidate your position um, because it's risky. Um, instead of just you know springing that on you when it happens, that's they're just keeping you down. Those are negative people, and you don't need yeah. them in your life. <laughs> they're wasting. They're, they're making you read what they're what they can do with your position if it like gives their if, if, if it gives their uh, puts their liquidity in too much risk. That's valuable time you could be using uh, high frequency trading options. And it's also negative exactly. thinking, and we know that that kind of negative thinking just manifests in in the <laughs> stock market. They're forcing you to do emotional labor. Yeah, that's that's right. the takeaway from this. Um, and I think also, and so that basically what we have here, right, is yeah, this, we have this, um, we have this big, this company with a lot of short interest where they, these guys with Robinhood have realized that if they push the, like what the, what this broker is able to do to its very limits, uh, they can basically try to th they're thinking, hey, we can create a situation of forced buying. We can buy call options where we think that will make them buy the underlying share to cover the call option. Um, and then that's going to push the price up. And then the shorts are going to have to buy back from us at any price to cover their shorts. And they assumed the shorts were going to expire on Friday for some reason. Uh, I don't know mm. why they, where they got that idea. Isn't it? Which is fine. Yeah. Uh, and so there was this idea that yes, uh, because this something similar happened to Volkswagen uh, in 2008 uh, when it went to a thousand dollars under similar circumstances, this is going to happen again. It's going to go to a thousand. I'm going to put all my money into it, and 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 so on and so on. And they were right. 
I mean, yep. like, <laughs> <Or> two thousand, <laughs> more, more or less. Yes. Uh, like the thing about this that's amazing is not like a pump and dump scheme or like an engineered artificial short, short squeeze. That's something that happens all the time in the markets, but it happens all the time with like some scam fifty million dollar pink sheet company that like puts out a press release saying like, "Yeah, we've cured cancer." Like this doesn't mm. happen with like real companies that have billions in market cap. Uh, and, and, and it did this time. And so that's, that's part of the reason, like people are not like, oh my God, like a bunch of people on an internet forum engineered a short squeeze. It's like, oh my God, like a bunch of people on an internet forum engineered a short squeeze of like a Russell 2000 stock with like a multi-billion dollar market cap. <laughs> Which is, again, and the fact is like that's, that did happen. But I think, and if you look at a lot of what people are writing about this, like this is now definitely going to a thousand. We're now definitely going to force them to liquidate their position on Friday. You can then see a lot of like when prophecy fails stuff coming because they're expecting a mm. thousand and they're expecting a thousand by a certain date. And I think there's a lot of like determinism, right? Uh, and, and, and a lot of what people, in fact, not just like what people are writing on Reddit. Uh, but a lot of what people are saying in like the mainstream financial press, there's quite a bit of a feeling that, well, this is now going to happen. It's destined to happen this way because the financial system isn't a set of like professional relationships. It's kind of a god that you can point in whatever direction you want. Yeah, and none then, of them know yeah. each other. And then it's forced to just, you know, and then, and then the market will move mechanically from there. That seems to like be a lot of what I'm seeing about this. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I, I cannot legally give financial advice, but like... So the short data that a lot of people are seeing is basically reported to the exchanges every two weeks. So you can get like more up-to-date short data if you pay like $10,000 a month for it. Uh, and like you can look at that and be like, oh, like the squeeze is over. Like there's only 40% of this, the float is short anymore. Uh, you know, you can go to like Blacklight or, or any of these different companies that sell this data. And so all of the Robinhooders are looking at this like two week old data before the short squeeze happened and are like, we're going to get Melvin. Like there's still, there's still 80 million shares that are short. It's like, no, there's like 25. Uh, yeah. um, and I think this is actually a really good way we can sort of move into uh, like all of the conspiracy theories around this, right? So anything from um, like, ah, oh, Ken, Ken Griffin, uh, the owners of Robinhood, uh, Melvin Capital, CNBC and all this, they're all aligned against us to like artificially sort of like circumvent the fact that we guessed the financial system yeah, correctly. Now that we're winning, now that we've, we've yeah. used these iron immutable laws of the market against them, they have like consciously decided, oh, we're, we're going to do everything we can to stop Reddit. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it, we're, we're, in my view, someone should have done that a long time ago, yeah. but for different reasons. So, uh, Alice, you had a great metaphor for this when we were talking about this yesterday. Yeah, it's, in fact. It's, it's like <laughs> thinking that this is uh, something that they're doing uh, very sort of at that tawdry level is like walking into a casino and accusing the blackjack dealer of like pocketing cards. <laughs> yeah. They, it's like, they it's, don't need to do that, man. You just, you're overstating both your own influence and the like the way that this works and the way it manages risk. It doesn't require them to even really cheat in a meaningful way. All of the stuff that they're doing uh, to like preserve their own positions here is like far more legitimate than that. Yeah, and and and, and this is something that I've been like harping on on Twitter, which is. 
there's a lot of sort of sour grapes from the Robin Hood people, which sounds literally exactly like if you spoke with any hedge fund manager in 2008. They're like, what the fuck? My prime broker liquidated my securities and they didn't give me a margin call. And they're like not allowing me to buy this thing that I know is going to go up in value. It's like everyone was complaining about that in 2008 because like all of the brokers were overstretched then too. And the way that they preserved their interest was just to fuck over their clients, which they legally can do. Uh, like the anecdotes, this was like the big short thing uh, where like Michael Burry or somebody had a bunch of credit default swaps uh, that he knew had increased like thousands of percent in value. And his broker basically like refused to mark them up uh, because they had also sold them to him. Like it was Goldman Sachs as both his broker and the counterparty on his credit default swaps. And so they basically like kept margin calling him because they knew that if even though this position was actually worth like billions of dollars, if they recognized that, then another division of the same company would have to take a billion dollar mark to market loss. So mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm. all of this shenanigans. Uh, and so specifically with Robin Hood, uh, this is basically sounds a bit like that top structure again. Yeah. <laughs> I wish there was a term for that. Yeah, some kind of it's the economic underneath, and then the the top structure. That's yeah, what I carry on cue. Yeah, and so specifically with Robinhood, this is also like again sort of the thing where this was a result of their decision to trade to make trading as seamless and as frictionless as possible, where you have basically this like. Uh, like most accounts at Vanguard are what's called the cash account where, you know, you deposit your cash and then you wait like four days for the security system to clear it. And then you buy a stock and then you wait two or three days. It used to be three. Now it's two for that stock to arrive in your account and it's owned by you and nobody can do anything with them. It's all very boring. Uh, or you have a margin account, which is basically you don't own anything. You have sort of this contingent claim on securities that actually your broker owns And then your broker will allow you to do things like buy things on leverage or to buy things with uncleared funds or to day trade stocks, all of which are things that you as Robinhood want your users to do. Uh, So when you look at the documents, what you see is that Robinhood signs everybody up for a margin account. Uh, So nobody who works at Robinhood or nobody who has Robinhood as their broker, unless they specifically request it, uh, owns any of the securities in their Robinhood account. They basically will earn their return that Robinhood will pay them because Robinhood owns them. Mm-hmm. So, so what happened? Sorry. This is extremely funny because it was this kind of like mechanics behind the scenes that um, helped, that allowed Robinhood to make it easy for people to trade uh, options and easy for people to trade right away, mm-hmm. um, which they sold as like this democratizing of like these complicated financial products. But this same mechanic also made it possible for Robinhood um, to just like when they needed to just do whatever they wanted to with like the securities in everybody's account. Yeah, we, we've democratized this very heavy sword hanging over your head <laughs> held up by like a single horse yeah, And you can vote. You can vote on how thick you want the horse hair to be. It's almost as though, again, it's and don't forget, though, the guys who started Robin Hood said they were inspired by Occupy Wall Street. So it's almost as though these like faux, these this faux language around democratization sort of ends up continuing to just be this, in fact, very elite project that ends up screwing over everyone else involved in it. 
We were inspired by Occupy Wall Street in the sense that Occupy Wall Street made us aware of how naive all of you motherfuckers are. <laughs> um, I mean, in a sense, yeah, like democratizing trading complicated products like that is saying like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you like the banks are keeping you down. You're not allowed to go like bet like all of your net worth on yourself in a chess mask match against like, I don't know, Magnus Carlsen or something. Like, <laughs> you should be allowed to do that. And we're standing up for you. But really, like, you know, you are the product because the the people who are making money are typically ones who, like, not even based on any particular bet, but a lot of the time are people who just, like, take the opposite side of the trade as you. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so funny, though, that Robin Hood, uh, like, inadvertently facilitated steering the Chevy Tahoe into the, uh, into the wall here, which is like my, my machine for harvesting, uh, sort of dumb money opinions has now seized control <laughs> of this incredibly precarious position and has just now sort of conducted this financial suicide bombing. It's cool. <laughs> so awesome. Um, you know, there, there is something that, uh, that Q said about, um, this like fantasy of like making trading frictionless, uh, and specifically the fantasy that making trading frictionless actually makes markets more efficient and more, um, mm-hmm. you know, like Oops. smoother, less volatile. There's a, there are like some remarkable stories about the like the early days of um, the first um, financial futures market on the trading floors. And um, one thing they were very surprised by is actually as they started adding more traders. Um, the the prices got like way noisier, uh, and the reason they got noisier is that basically when there weren't so many traders, you know these people would have to go up to each other and they'd see each other every day and they'd say, "Hey, I'm my client's selling this. Um, do you do you want to buy it at this price?" And they kind of like all got to know each other and really like had a way of um, you know they had like norms, things that they would do, things that they wouldn't do. Um, they had reasonable expectations of each other. Um, and so like yeah. one like kind of interesting thing is that when you even when you go back to like the very beginning of financial futures markets, so much of like price smoothness has depended on not on specifically not having like a huge crowd of people yelling, but of like a smaller, you know, kind of group of people who know each other who say like we're going to make this market work well now i I checked my economics 101 and it said that the more people express an opinion on a price then the more those people have (laughs) that then the real price of that thing is more closely to being close to being discovered free of the markets the free of the people no i i I think it's really funny right that like none of these reddit people really intuit that like all a financial market is is an at like a London coffee house plus five hundred years, mm. and it's just kind of like overgrown from there. And so, like, none of them have any interest in like the personal relationships that make this work. But instead, all of the like ideology, right? The like the idea that the market has some iron law. It's like breaking into a church and holding the communion wafer hostage. <laughs> you know, like I have the body I, of Christ. I, I, I will shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it right here, and you all claim to believe this, so you have to do what I say, and you have to do miracles for me. Right. And as we know, there is only one iron law, and we won't be saying what it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, room joke. Yeah. The funny thing, and I'm like, I'm totally. I mean, this is like the this is the entire thesis of a fantastic book uh, by uh, by Don McKenzie called "An Engine, Not a Camera." Is that a lot of like the real work of this kind of like deal making and people knowing each other within 
financial markets um, is to like is really to just like perform um, this like other people's idea of a market as something that has like an iron law mm. of like kind of price fairness and efficiency and you know like things aren't jumping all over the place and the reason that they do this is that you know I mean you wouldn't want to go to a grocery store if like the price of bananas could be like a cent one day and then like two hundred dollars the other day you'd think that grocery store was like screwing you yeah you got to make it look Although rational there is one which is very there funny. is one that does do that that does surge pricing of everything of there is. <laughs> oh that's oh, so cool no but, uh, so i think no, I'm, I'm trying to think i'm trying to think there was a line about I, it might have been hofstasser but i could not track it down i was when i was prepping for this that capital is like a religion with no god and only priests <laughs> and the priests all went to harvard together <laughs> Um, yeah. So I think like, uh, well, some of them went to MIT that's true. and Stanford <laughs> increasingly. But I think if you if you want to sort of think about this, right, you can say like, look, no one like Ken Griffin didn't have to call anyone into a, a smoky room, right, in order to deal with this. Or uh, a soundproof or a room s- with a Renault Clio. <laughs> Indeed. In <it>. Yeah. No, <laughs> no one needed like there were because what we have is right is is. It's not like Wall Street has to cheat because the market was being too nice to like um to to you know like you know big tits 420xx uh, who was trying mm. to make you know seven billion dollars by buying some like short dated GameStop call options. Uh, rather, it's like no, it's the market is stacked against you not because people are cheating, but because the only access tool you have access to is a crappy one uh, that's just like meant to like addict you to buying and selling stuff constantly because they make more money the more you do. And then like the fact is you don't have access to a prime broker and um you know the and and, and yeah. Gabe plot and, and, and also and, we should and, say it's it, it's not it's not that these people don't cheat or are above cheating. It's that they they don't need yeah, to. Yeah, like, like for example, I, I was looking at this, right? There's a little bit of a crackpot theory, but, you know, I was looking at, like, the, the, the as you say, uh, uh, Q, the short interest has been decreasing, but the price, the, but the theory of the Redditors is that every, is that there's a one-to-one relationship between the short interest decreasing and the price going up, right? And that, yeah. this, this hasn't happened, right? Maybe it has, and again, Patrick Wyman uh, explanation, many, many causes, many, many outcomes, but like, for example, and, you know, uh, and be, if I'm wrong, Nate, cut this. But couldn't it be right that because I'm like you know one of these big funds that's invested in this thing, I'm short. I go to my prime broker and I'm like, hey, so I don't trigger an upward spiral in the price of this stock. Can I just settle my short in cash? And then you know they get out of it, and then Reddit doesn't get made rich because the hedge funds and the brokers have that relationship, and you don't. What the fuck? Somebody stopped me driving my Tahoe into this wall. So, so, so you can't exit cash settled yeah. that way. But what you can do is like, and, and, and a lot of shorts do do this, is basically you're short, but you also buy the out-of-the-money call options. Mm. Uh, so you say like, oh, you know, I'm short ugh, a million shares of GameStop. I'm going to buy 10,000 contracts of the out-of-the-money call option at 100. So my worst case loss is capped at 100. Mm. And so then it's like, well, I never had to cover my short because as soon as like that option went in the money, I just exercised it, mm-hmm. boxed them together, and then like put the shares I got from the call option into the short, and we're done. Yeah, and so it's like uh, it's it's one of these ways where because like because there are just ways around this because like these funds they they have they have you got you have that relationship with sort of brokers who can make things happen. You have more more wiggle room. You know there is this one to one relationship between this stock is going to a thousand and I'm going to hold it forever. Means that yeah, like a lot of people are probably going to get dis- could get disappointed by this, right? Oh yeah, I mean I I I think that like 
the the things that we've seen over the past couple of days is like it is this is no longer a stock that is being like squeezed by you know redditors to like mess with hedge funds like we know that most of the shorts like melvin publicly announced on wednesday that they exited the the position and that wouldn't surprise me at all but uh it's basically now, if you look at sort of like the average size of the trades, they go, they went from a week ago where it was like people were buying like one share, two shares, five shares to now like routinely you're seeing like hundred and thousand share lots like print on the tape. Like this is just a bunch of hedge funds trading back and forth with each other because they think it's fun. Mm. And as I, going on to hedge funds a little bit, I looked at the uh, this is just sort of looking at some of the ideology here, right? Um, which is that like. There's a lot of people saying, oh, this is Gamergate or Occupy Wall Street or 4chan because they're focusing on the affect and they're focusing on the little guys, the, the day traders. But the, the biggest single beneficiary of this entire thing has been Donald Foss, uh, the billionaire pioneer of subprime auto lending. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, and there's, right. this, there's, there's this thing where like, this has been written about as, ah, oh, these are day traders showing their disdain with capitalism. But this is essentially like if the original Occupy Wall Street protest registered their distaste for capitalism by personally pelting Rajiv Misra from Deutsche Bank with $100 bills. Essentially, mm. yeah, we we loaded a bunch of hundred dollar bills into a t shirt cannon, <laughs> and we're aiming it up at the balcony. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, like the, the the thing that I saw that like blew my mind was there was a guy. So after GameStop imposed this limit, uh, sorry, not after GameStop, after uh, Robinhood imposed this limit, they're like, you can only buy like three shares worth of GameStop because like we have margin limits. Again, it's sort of like. Not only can your prime broker margin call you, it's sort of like the clearing firm can call the prime broker because they own like so much GameStop in their their margin account under Robinhood's name that they were like, we're not going to clear this for you. You've got to reduce your GameStop position. So they basically said, okay, they turned around to their clients, we sold some stuff, and now you can only buy two or three shares per day. And so some absolute galaxy brain genius on Reddit realized that you can just buy a call option and exercise it. But that just means that you're spending money on a call premium that you're then throwing away to exercise. So you're like, I'm going to pay like $400 to buy $300 worth of GameStop stock uh-huh. because now I can do it in 100 share lots so instead of three share lots. It's like, yeah, you're, you're owning like Ken Griffin by paying him like a 25% profit on your trades because <laughs> just to like buy more GameStop. I mean, these are the people that spent like a year also thinking that like the way to stick it to Ken Griffin for like, you know, front running their Robinhood orders was to just trade even fucking more on Robinhood. Yeah, well, it's because they, they can't uh, imagine sort of any kind of social life that isn't participating in the market. Because if you're such a perfect neoliberal subject, you're thinking, well, I have two things I can do to own Ken Griffin. I can buy or I can sell. And it, because you're, I mean, you're playing Ken, yeah, yeah. and and they don't want you to do yeah. it. That's the great <laughs> thing is you can be like, no, they're telling me not to drive my Tahoe <laughs> into this wall, so it must be a yeah. thing that like I, I is powerful against this is just, them. It must be a this good is idea. just your mom doesn't want you to eat sugar smacks. This, this is a serial <laughs> commercial. This is, your your mom would never let you eat sugar smacks. Own your mom by buying sugar smacks. <laughs> That's right. Own your mom by buying GameStop. Uh, and and there are there are these other meme stocks as well as well. Like sort of AMC is a big one, and that one was very funny to me because it's another mall stock. Uh, so we're still in the mall. We still have frosted tips. Um, 
and uh, everyone just and they were like, oh, now we're gonna draw, we're gonna own the the markets by buying AMC because they told us not to buy it because it's a stupid company that has no future. And then then what happened is one of the biggest investors in AMC noticed the price action and then just converted its debt to more equity. So basically, a bunch of redditors got together to make a huge donation to uh, the owners of AMC. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it, it, it was in, in a single day. I think it was Silver Lake, yeah. which is this huge private equity firm, like very evil, I'm sure. Uh, and it was they had like two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of AMC like convertible debt. And then the price spiked up on Wednesday and they just converted and sold it all in the same single day. <laughs> and, then, uh, and, then, and the price went down and like hundred million dollars. Yes, of course, the price went down. They sold like a 12 percent stake in the but company. Then what happened is these, like, dumb the Redditors. price went down and then the Redditors were like, oh, they're trying to push the price down. Own them by raking it go up again. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, I mean, incredible. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like in a lot of ways. And like, look, I'm I'm the dumb like no finance guy here. So like, the only thing that I could kind of see was just like this is just posters brain. Mm-hmm. This is kind of this is really just kind of posting brain posters logic. I felt that like a lot of it came down to the fact that no one really knew what was going on in the beginning, and then when this sort of like big phenomena happened and kind of converts into like a mimetic experience. People then like try to project something onto that. Right. Mm. But like, so this wasn't, you know, the idea that this was sort of like a rebellion against hedge funds is something that kind of feels very contrived. And as if like some people on Reddit were just trying to kind of like rationalize what was Mm. going on. And even that sort of fell out of their control. Again, that's like not a finance take. It's more just like, Hi, I buy Margera, and this is buying AMC stock to piss off my mom. Uh, my mom's asleep right now, so I'm going to just uh, take out a mortgage on my Camaro, and uh, yeah, we're going to buy a load of stock and see what happens. <laughs> That's right. You really see this idea being uh, that, like, you know, somehow that, like, trading in financial markets is sticking it to hedge funds. You really see this being juiced by, um, by a lot of Silicon Valley tech executives um i think there are a lot of like possible reasons why they like might like to do that um but you know a lot of the i mean if you go on like wall street bets who is there's that there's that tech guy um, uh, uh, yeah the one that's running for governor of california (laughs) who's like talking about how this is like a revolt against the hedge funds and it's like dude you you like run a fund in san francisco yeah but it's a cool fund and ever, and and people don't wear patagonia vests they wear uh, shorts and t-shirts big difference well and they went to stanford instead of harvard so i so. I, I have this captured right as like there is the least interesting bit of the ideology which is the one that's just you know personal which is that if this is about resentment or whatever the slightly more interesting ideology is that this is institutional which is that this is kind of a fight between old this is being See, can be seen through the lens of like a fight between old capital, which is, you know, like um, Stentorian hedge funds and Wall Street and stuff and new capital, which is like venture capital and crowdsourcing and tech and all this, you know, dumb shit. Mm. And I get, I'm not saying that's what's Alien happening. versus predator. But my goodness, are Elon Musk and, and, and Shamath and, and all these others, they're, they, they really hate old capital and they are seeing this as their opportunity to kind of like mm. brand this as their exercise. And they right? hate it because it's not epic. And because they and this is also right. They they love the idea of of the platform by platforming trading. There's like, oh, we can dis we can disrupt this old thing. And as uh, you know, again, but uh, TF is a Marxist podcast. We are in no way sort of lovers. Wait, of, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> we are in no way sort of you know lovers of the um of, of Wall Street and the markets and all this stuff. But it's very transparently what they're doing is they're trying to like 
they're just saying, no, we want our capital to be the blackjack dealer. We're tired of those guys being the blackjack dealer. Right. <laughs> um, because. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Once, once you have a ton of money, one of the like logical things to do and one of the like safest, best things you can do is just become a bang. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and what they and when you think of the logic, right? Like the democratization offered by the platform economy. When they say with something like Uber, it's like, oh yeah, we're taking away all those old restrictions from the you know from the old world. You have to quote unquote have a job and have benefits. You can set your own hours, all that stuff. Mm. It's that same kind of freedom where it's like, yeah, you're free to make all the dumbass trades you want. If you want to build a free ramp, to drive your Toyota yeah. Prius into this wall, yeah, the you, wall being the loan you took out to buy the Toyota Prius on the basis that you were going to get paid. A load of money by Uber, which actually you're not going to get paid. Yeah, and, and you know what? We we be, we believe in your right to you know build a ramp so you can crash into the wall faster. So what what Shamath said is there are 2.7 million people on Wall Street bets, and I think they're just as important as any hedge fund. Uh, <laughs> they are not. You're, like, you're very special. <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a market that it very clearly delineates where y- you are important, and no, they're not. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. You know, and they're they're they're. And I think a lot of this is, again, like reckoning with this perfect idea of what they think the market is supposed to be and coming you know, smack into, into um, crashing into the reality that the market is you know, limited and fallible and made of people and that it's not this um, it, and, and that it is not this sort of ideological construct of like a bunch of uh, perfect uh, trades being made that everyone should have the right to make their voice heard to improve price discovery. Because if all if all seven billion people in the world can make their opinion known on what price GameStop should be, mm. then we'll all be better off as a society somehow. I mean, of course, it had to come from Reddit, right? Because it's such a gamer opinion. It is like. You you think that this this thing is is constructed and it it, it works as programmed and so mm. you can manipulate these things. One, one thing that like a lot well one thing that I saw from like right wing kind of accounts and like not pundits but sort of just like commentators on Twitter and everything like they were trying to really frame this as like a culture war issue right the idea that like you know Robin Hood like um you know uh like the Robin Hood restrictions was like actually a, re- a further kind of encroachment of big tech and free speech and stuff like that <laughs> they closed out my GameStop position and just gave me all these genders what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> well like, that was also like another just very interesting kind of like way of thinking about this is sort of like mimetic phenomena and how it kind of like incorporate like everything has to sort of like incorporate into like these broader like again like completely fictionalized and mm. algorithmically driven like culture wars because like it's really difficult to sort of like make sense of situations like this there isn't like I don't think there's any kind of like theory of labor or theory of practice that mm. can be mm. mapped onto something like this so you know, this is also like a struggle of how and like how people try to understand like what is yeah. essentially like like nonsense. I, I, don't, well, I don't know if it's nonsense. I was going to say but, what, yeah. what I've taken from this is that not only are the people on Wall Street, Brett's surprise, surprise, not as smart as the people at the hedge funds, but also the people on Wall Street bets aren't as smart as me because they literally haven't watched the big short which i have in order <laughs> no, to like no, they, like no they, no they have they have watched the movies but they kind of is it's, again it's one of those situations where like they watch the wrong stuff mm. right so they look at like michael burry like listening to metal music and like pretending to play like drums that guy is like, me like, <laughs> fucking yeah fucking like dudes dudes fucking rock right yeah uh, <laughs> but, but also michael burry early long investor in gamestop mm. he was yeah, he was I, 
I was gonna say it's like it's like you watch Margin Call and there's the part where like the 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 Will Emerson is like, yeah, I spent seventy five thousand dollars on hookers and coke, and they're like, wow, I want a finance job, and it's like you completely missed the point of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's the, the point is that's too yeah. much money so, to spend on hookers. Think, He's think, getting done out of the deal. The, the thing, the other thing here, right, is there's it's that there is also this myth that. That there is, we're saying, yes, the, 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 the no, kind of no one here is as smart as they think they are, it's especially the hedge fund people, mm. because they got everyone into this mess by basically like being, be, by tricking themselves into thinking that they're geniuses. And so this is a, a set, what I see here, right? Is, and this is, it, this was discussed in a really good essay by uh, Veb, who's at Tragic Bios, mm. uh, who talked about this as essentially a postmodern, a, a, fir- one of the first truly postmodern. Um, instances of uh, occurrences in the financial markets where all of these mechanisms for managing for managing risk that are unrelated but that are related only to the gambling token GameStop that happens to share a name with a video game retailer um, mm. that that all of these mechanisms the idea is they're all kind of interacting independently of the of the economic activity that's going on underneath and they're all kind of interacting and they're supposed to uh, channel they're supposed to channel money or our power or whatever sort of um, uh, upward if you like but um, what what sort of has happening it happened is that they have just so be- these signifiers have become completely disconnected from from anything that's supposed to signify right that mm. this is and that we are we are flying not just blind we are flying kind of outside of the earth's atmosphere and I mean this is a, a this is not something that's new either like this is a long term trend Q this is something we've discussed before the sort of the decoupling of the market from any kind of foundation that's uh, that's underlying it and I think when you realize that you know this is this is so ideological it it makes I think perfect sense that like this is a bit of um of the planet it's a bit like the planet Solaris you know you can uh, the planet in the movie Solaris you look mm. at it and it tells you it shows you what you want to see it become and it goes into your head and it sort of it transforms into something that just sort of proves all of your political priors when actually i think the most interesting way to look at this is this is an example of the whole system the system level analysis is that things get very very strange when the more that they are in the world of the forms entirely, they are divorced from these sort of the, the petty comings and goings of actual workers at actual ball yeah, stores. Everyone was so worried about postmodernism in academia, and while we weren't looking, they did it to stop. <laughs> Damn, we shouldn't let we shouldn't have let Andre Tarkovsky manage our fund. That's, That's when right. things started getting really weird. <laughs> yeah, he gave everyone at the fund cancer by taking them to this old Soviet chemical plant to get a, get a shot that he wanted. <laughs> Wait, sorry, sorry. I, I, I want to interrupt. I know this isn't scheduled, but Riley, I just sent you some random guy on Twitter, uh, and I don't know if we want to roast him or not. He just published like a hedge fund letter, and this is like just a guy who trades his own capital uh-huh. and thinks he's a hedge fund, and it is legitimately one of the funniest things that I have seen. So he lost like forty percent for the month, uh-huh. and then he's quoting Jordan Peterson in his letter. Uh, Wait, Q, up, says, up the top, how much does this guy hate his son? Does he make that clear in the letter? Because otherwise he's not a real hedge fund guy. That's right. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing about his son, nothing about his neighbors that he's currently suing. Uh, there's a lot about, like, Elon Musk. So I guess... But yeah, he's like, quote, an idea I learned from Jordan Peterson is that the left doesn't actually care about the poor. They're just envious of and hate the rich. In this case, they're happy to see a group of specialty hedge funds get hurt and are ignorant about what's happening outside of that. 
Uh, yeah, the, the left don't want the poor to have uh, to have benzos. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> right. It is the left don't want the poor to have like uh, the the really good adrenochrome. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they want to keep that all for AOC. Well, that is true. Yeah. Another thing about this is uh, he mentions in his letters, I accidentally made a mistake when cutting position sizes on Wednesday due to our accounts NAV. I accidentally uh, bought American Airlines instead of selling it, and then we lost an additional percent. <laughs> Oops. So this guy that i would want to give my money to <laughs> awesome this, this guy should cool. get a robin hood account he could be pulled out of his bad positions before they hurt him too much um <laughs> it's so fucking funny to see everybody like on to see like so many people on both sides of this trade like the robin hood people and the and, and like the hedge funders who are like mad uh and when they're all losing money like accusing the other side of like being the left <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all it's just the spider-man <laughs> meme but everyone's yeah. going you're Karl marx no it's it's just it's just it's, it's it is because i mean look that if you want to talk about the paranoid style in american politics it's that we're gonna yeah. find the pronouns yeah. that did this to <laughs> us that everything that's going wrong is because there is a hidden leftist agenda that doesn't want america rendered as me to succeed Nobody leaves yeah. until we find out what he, him, lesbian did this. <laughs> so, like, hey, um, yeah, yeah, my, my, my pronouns are me, her. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Very good. So, um, uh, uh, guys, uh, guys and gals, do we want to? I, I think that's like. I think we've come to a very a good conclusion that I haven't like, and, and what I, I that I haven't like, like just sort of read in, in a million explainers here. I think we've like gotten to where I wanted to get, which is like thinking about what this. How to think about this in terms of like what is the financial system? How does it work? Yeah, and all and this. It, 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 it's part of our usual thing of the line is not like linked to anything anymore. It's just kind of like now it's being fucking weird yeah. because people are starting to realize that it doesn't relate to anything anymore. It's the time of monsters. Plus, we have all of this like energy that like there's genuine spite and like hatred for capital and capitalism and stocks and hedge markets mm. and uh, you know you name it. But it's all in these really sort of directed weird things because uh, there's nothing to like direct it so it's yeah. cool i do want to add one thing um about this um this idea of like postmodern finance and like you know the the shattering of the illusion that the the, that the line is connected to anything that it's uh, th this idea that it's like a gambling token um totally disconnected from uh from the stock uh one i think you know, I I don't know if this is the right way to think about it, but some um, I I think one appealing way to think about it is that in normal conditions, a lot of what like these big institutions do, and by that I mean like pension funds, high frequency traders, um, all of the people who like move lots of volume in in financial markets generally, a lot of what their job is, in addition to making money for their clients, is to like put on like a pretty good show that like tells a reasonable story about how the line is connected to like the underlying economic. Mm -hmm. And in normal conditions, they do like, they do an okay job of that uh, because, you know, only it's only really like you leftist weirdos like us who, who like talk <laughs> about it. But that breaks down sometimes. And that, that breaks down specifically in crashes and in times when there's a lot of volatility. Uh, and so what, kind of happened here is like a lot of people just jumped into this one position who are not like actually part of the performance and it's like they didn't realize it's almost like you know it's like in the true it's like a truman show type mm. of thing where like they didn't realize everyone around them is actually like an actor who like 
like they, the, who other people like want the, their job is basically to make sure the line doesn't move too much in any one day. Um, and they like showed up and just started like saying like the line should move and putting in like really big orders. And that kind of like, you know, they basically broke the whole performance. And a lot of the time what happens, I mean, in, in crashes or when things move too much, there are fail safes and they basically say the way to like get this on track is to just stop everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like m- maybe one way to look at it is that the, the wall street bets guys didn't realize what it, what they were really doing was like, you know, crashing a TV set. Mm. Um, and when, when everybody kind of tried to get back on script, they, they didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. So you might say Robin hood did democratize finance, did democratize finance, but not in the way they sort of claimed to be doing. They sort of allowed a lot of people to get in and just kind of like get on the TV set and not necessarily make money, but like hit the scripts out of the actors' hands and rearrange the props. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until being like comically knocked unconscious by a sandbag yeah, exactly. dropped from a great height. <laughs> exactly. It was just smash Shakespeare, but on the financial um, markets. Uh, so look, I want to have a little bit of fun uh, with some dessert now that we've uh, eaten our vegetables. And I've been telling you guys that I found quite a startup for today. Uh, it was actually I found it in the mentions of uh, J- of Uber's early Uber investor Jason Kalkanis, um, mm. and I, I I actually said uh, Jason I have a show where I talk about uh, technology. Do you mind if I discuss your startup on this? And he said, please do. So with the blessing uh. of one of the major <laughs> investors, we will be discussing the startup Blockable. That is B L O K A B L E. I love this because these people are so used to getting relentlessly fawning press from their idiot friends that they always assume that whenever they get talked about, it's going to be some puff piece. Like, do you know how we've, we sometimes we've got get- to try and get a retweet from them? Uh, too. Alice, we sometimes fully get emails from people who are like, "Hey, I hear you talk about startups on your podcast. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've got this new company. I'm really excited about it. Would you guys be like, and, yeah. and I'm just like." You've never listened to this podcast, have you? <laughs> okay, so uh, starting with uh, Neodad, Blockable, it's spelled B-L-O-K-A-B-L-E. What do you think Blockable does? And uh, you already know that Jason Kalkanis has invested in it heavily. Uh, it's some kind of uh, like centralized thing that connects all of your social media platforms and like makes the haters go away that would be okay <laughs> if this one's uh, it's if this one's sort of evil not stupid but that would be very good if it was a stupid one uh mm. q guesses blockable i mean it's got to be some sort of blockchain thing right i think so uh no it's not not blockchain oh uh alice blockable uh, we're finally democratizing trades by allowing people to make them on the Lego Mindstorms set. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, but not accurate. Yeah, you can finally invest in Bionicle. <laughs> Hussein, blockable. <laughs> I'm heavily shorting Bionicle. That's right. My, my, my initial idea was the whole, like, um, uh, having, having, like, a blockchain system that would block all your haters. So I'm, I'm glad that two of those have been wiped out. Um, so my third, my third take is that it's something to do with shipping. Ooh, um, and shipping containers. Yes, yeah, you are very uh, much that, on the right track, my friend. And that, and that's all I that's all I have. Milo, last shipping oh, containers. Oh, is, is, is it like it's like a low income housing startup ding, ding, ding. where they just put four people in shipping <laughs> oh, containers? No. Oh no, it's that kind of block. Oh no, that's why he works in finance because he knows how to guess what startups <laughs> do from the name. <laughs> that's right. He no. knows what's a good business idea. So, 
they're, they're making like the the slum from the new Deus Ex game, where it's a bunch of like augmented people living in shipping containers, but they're Uber drivers. <laughs> that's right. So yeah. this, well, it's not actually shipping containers, but uh, that's it's oh. like it's prefab housing. Technically, it's prefab housing. So we're gonna go with yeah, that. And, and the pre is shipping yeah. containers. I hate it when they take a bunch of poor people and make them live in uh, Shoreditch. <laughs> so I mean, the, the other thing is right with uh, shipping containers are terrible for housing. They need to be so rebuilt that they might as well not be shipping containers they are shipping container themed rectangles oh that's cool um, yeah because like you have to like so, so they're not even like recycling shipping no. containers it's just we're building something that looks like this hideously ugly shipping container yeah. and we're making you live in it even though we could build like a regular house uh now what they're doing is now there's they, they are not involving shipping containers but it is modular construction they say we don't sell boxes we develop homes we don't sell boxes here. Oh, it's, a, it's another it's another box based starter <laughs> blockables you spelled are you sure it's not blockable like a bloke yeah my new startup gazer <laughs> so yeah, everyone lives in a big pyramid with a bunch of blokes so they say blockable <laughs> creates prosperity and equity Equity in communities. So note that down. Cool. That sounds like uh, uh, it means something. Uh, by disintermediating the traditional building process. By dis. Sorry, this was written by George W. Bush. Not to do a U.S. president deep cut, but this is exactly well, his affect. Well, so they say by disintermediating the traditional building process and providing a vertically integrated modular solution to create housing at scale. I love to disintermediate the building process so, and create a vertically integrated modular <laughs> building process. They've uh, misunderestimated my container. So, so they're disintermediating builders, which is like that famously profitable part of providing low income housing. That's right. And not disintermediating like landlords. Oh, goodness, no. Or like. Okay. No, goodness, no. Right, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> no, they are, they are very much uh, for profit, although they can be they can partner with market rate and not for profit organizations. Um, but like for they will you know, they will still have a landlord and it will still be privately owned. Um, our solution is to create a new paradigm in housing enabled by a new system and technology, removing complexity while generating productivity and efficiency gains. It doesn't so, sound like they're removing complexity. So what they're actually doing, when they say disintermediating, what they're actually saying is we vertically integrated the entire process of house building and we would like to be a state supported monopoly, please. Cool. Um, I like it when they cut out the middleman by creating a dangerous monopoly. <laughs> so they say, uh, real estate development is a true Gordian knot. It may be best defined as a collaboration of a large number of highly skilled individuals combining physical, intellectual, and financial capital to create a real estate product. May it, no, may it no, be best that, described it's, it's as that? It's just like a bunch of fucking morons that we gave like tax breaks for free money, <laughs> and then they build like shitty houses and, and, and like sell them to like REITs. Yeah. Like it's actually a very well solved problem. <laughs> uh, it's just, it, it just does the exact opposite of what you would want it to do. It's also, it's the absolute easiest business to make money in. Like these people are talking out their ass. Like there's a housing crisis basically everywhere in the left. No one, sorry, in the West, sorry. No one has enough money to buy housing. Like, and so if you have the capital to build housing, like it will just automatically be bought by someone, no matter how shitty it, like you cannot lose. <laughs> and and they also say they, they're basically like if the prop because it's not like you you could build a bunch of these like prefab houses like 
close to where people work because there's already housing there. No, of course not. And there's already privately owned housing there. It's already owned by landlords and real estate investment trusts and yeah, all and you these can't organizations. Lower the prices of those of like rents no. there. So instead, what you've got to do is build a fucking blockable out in the middle of fucking nowhere. That's right. <laughs> ironically, do a Chinese government thing and build your own ghost city somewhere. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Neo Dad, what do you think of blockable so far? God, I mean, I know this has been done to death, but like it, it, it sounds like one of those things where, you know, when, if you were in high school in like the two thousands and you were like, what's this, I I just like the, this communism thing does seem okay in like theory. And then your history teacher is like, oh yeah, but you'd probably have to live in a shipping container. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you'd just be assigned a shipping container <laughs> in like fucking Chelyabinsk 70 and you'd have to commute for 500 miles. <laughs> uh, Chelyabinsk, the town which is famous for having five lakes and it tells you everything you need to know about Chelyabinsk that they named those lakes and I'm not kidding, lakes 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> well, look, we're trying to get that ingenuity here in the here in the west. Cuz yeah, they're saying basically like if you're looking at the problem of housing costs the problem is the monopoly that like landlords and stuff have on land. It's not that the bricks are too expensive. No, that's the natural way of things. That's why they're called landlords. They're yeah. the lords of the land. <laughs> so they say, with an efficient <laughs> development process, because again, I think it's not like shipping containers, but it is prefab uh, units, um, and the ability to create optimal public-private civil society partnerships. So I guess they're marrying the houses. Civil society, <laughs> eh? Is it possible to ask the deeper questions? What is the purpose of creating housing? Public safety? For people have somewhere to live! <laughs> Public safety, basic shelter, the red, the red double Alice yeah. Milo meltdown. Again, just like people being stupider than me, a stupid guy. Like, what? What is the purpose of creating housing? Like, fuck off, you overeducated inbred cunt. Like, because people need shit to live in. Like, how do you even write that in a press release with a straight face? Well, they say that we believe that ownership, finance, and development structures should take an approach that optimizes the prosperity of individuals served in their community, a prosperity-centric development paradigm. I refuse to even begin to try and understand what they mean by that. <laughs> I mean, they got, they just got the Laura Mipsum <laughs> generator that Pete Buttigieg used in his um in his campaign. Social Mipsum. responsibility, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, because it's like it's every every one of these startups that's meant to like address a social problem while also creating a you know favorable monopoly for its founders. Every single time, it's like yeah, it gets like heavily funded because I don't know, maybe it's a B corporation or something. I haven't looked, um, but then it like. It, all it does is spend a lot of like intellectual, political, and you know just like financial capital on solving the part of the problem that doesn't need to be solved and won't work. I, I just like have so much less distaste for like ordinary real estate companies where they just say like we're building apartments and you'd like you can live in them and like where it's mm. just some fucking like you know third generation like you know south you know, Sunbelt, like, real estate tycoon building an apartment complex, and, like, that's it. Mm. You know, I feel like when when people start, like, talking about how their business is going to solve some kind of social problem, it's so many times I've seen this, and it just, like, it's just a cover for doing the worst, most predatory shit, Mm -hmm. uh, because they aren't making clear, like, the real, you know, the real, like, economics of the arrangement, which is, you know, they... Somebody is going to own a home and somebody's going to not own the home mm. and they're going to rent it. Like that's that's what's going on. That is unavoidable. There's 
some conflict there because the renter would like to pay less and the landlord would like to have more. And yeah. in a way, I feel like this is kind of thematically appropriate for this episode in the sense that like, I feel like kind of most of the tech startups we talk about on this podcast, and I feel like this one is no exception, are kind of in their own way pump and dump schemes because this is a mm. stupid, like it's evil, but it is also stupid. Like it's not really going to, it doesn't really make sense. It's not really going to be like a proper business that makes money in the end, I don't think. But it all you need to do is get enough people to invest in it that you're now a billionaire because like it doesn't, it's like again, it is it is kind of a gambling token. Like you just need an idea that's dumb enough to get on the stock market so yeah. that then people can invest in it. And then you say stuff like, prioritizes the prosperity of individuals served in their community with a prosperity-centric development paradigm to hide the fact that that's what you're doing. Yeah. You know, um, so one of the couple of things that are, that are specific about this is they have their blockable building system. So, uh, yeah, uh, Neodad, like you were saying, you all live in a house that looks the same and is nowhere. Because, Yo, you'll heard of Lego? Yeah, you basically live in a Lego house. They say it has a structural steel frame and shear wall system to create wide open spaces for studio one, two, one, two and three bedroom houses, a wide range of cladding options, blah, blah, blah. But what I really caught my eye... Studio house? How does that work? Uh, it's a one room house. It's, it's, that, that would be called a room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you get a room. So, But the, what I... You, you get like a porter cabin, a like hut. one of the temporary That's, that's a fucking hut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, what up? Uh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Is, 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 are these like houses or are these like apartment uh, buildings? It's one, well, it's, um, it's, it's sort of both where like you can have a house or you can stack a bunch of them together to make an apartment building. Okay, because it's just like if your solution to the housing crisis is like, oh, we need to build more like single family ranch no. homes on like one acre lots. <laughs> it's like, yes, the Palo Alto housing crisis is going to be solved because like the, the, the expense of building a house on your five million dollar like quarter acre lot is just too high. <laughs> no. So what really yeah, caught my eye going to be the house from up. What, what, I'm now laughing at like just the idea of stacking a house so like your upstairs neighbor's door just opens into midair. <laughs> yeah, really trolling my neighbor by deleting his um by deleting the ladder from his pool. That's um, right. So no, they, what really caught my eye of this though is the uh, the blockable building system integrates block sense hardware and software to monitor performance features of a home in real time. Yes, it spies so, so on invented, you. Invented a thermostat. <laughs> uh, but what if the thermostat told your landlord how you were using the house? What if your thermostat was Hell the cool? Yeah. Uh, they say the block sense insights dashboard every every blockable oh, oh boy. Uh, is a connected home and comes with the block sense home hardware pre-installed in a hardwired system built right into the blockable building with block sense community and property managers so uh hmm. wonder who those people work for anyway i shouldn't ask hmm. um are equipped with powerful tools to monitor safety and performance manage access and improve comfort mm-hmm Cool. What? I love it when my house evicts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we've disintermediated the traditional bailiff system. And now, basically, what we have is we have a big pipe under your house. And if you miss a payment for rent, it opens up. And then all of your stuff just gets sucked into Ken Griffin's house. That's right. And that's why Ken Griffin has so many flashlights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and improve comfort, of course. So, you know, they're going to do some like, you know, randomized control trials about like what the optimal human comfort level is in winter. And then they're going to set your heat at that. Nice. I assume. I do not know if they're going to do that. Uh, but they all also are going to have regular software updates to unlock new capabilities. I have to patch my house. Oh, cool! I love to buy a new skin for my house. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, lo I love. I love that I've level. I've leveled up in cooking, and now I can double jump. 
<laughs> yeah, I've prestiged my house and I've lost all of my shit. <laughs> yeah, I've had to I've had to respec my house as a garage. <laughs> <laughs> I love getting the gold camo on my yeah, house. That's right. Uh, so yeah, but that's I I love that so much. The block sense smart home platform, and they always talk uh. about. They say property owners and managers. The, the conspicuously absent word from here uh, is uh, landlords, renters, renters, and landlords. <laughs> Yeah, we're not uh, we're not talking we're not, about that. We're not obscuring any sort of relations here. No, no, this isn't some kind of uh, top structural uh, smokescreen. Some kind of cockamamie scheme. If you stack two blockables on top of one another, the lower one is some sort of base, and the top is some sort of superstructure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's where the landlord lives. <laughs> and also, this means like what? Like uh, someone can like hack my house, and I have to live in poltergeist. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's so awesome. Being haunted by your landlord. Okay, uh, 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 Neo Dad, I'm going to throw back to you. Um, the blockable smart insights platform. It sounds like there a lot of like you know flowery language to describe things that like already exist because it's like you know there's already Alexa. What's actually exciting about this is that you can fucking force it on people. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. Because they're saying there's no reason they said in, the, in their copy that there's no reason that lower income people should live in worse housing. But there is a reason that but they should. We're be- going to make them do it anyway. <laughs> well, it's, it's more, again, this is pure aesthetics and this is pure lifestyle is the thin end of the wedge where they're like, no, you should have like a floor to ceiling modern window and a, like a nice sleek kitchen. But also it's going to spy on you. Yeah. Can, can you imagine if you just like if you for some reason like just worked for Mark Andreessen <laughs> and you just told him like like in any other context that there's no reason that low income people should live in worse housing? <laughs> like these people would if you like told them that in any other context, they would like tell you to stop talking about politics at work. Yeah. Uh, at best. Um. So who we have actually as the major investors is uh, Jason Kalkanis. So um, you know if you are low income because, for example, you got casualized from your uh, taxi driving job and now have to live in a house that spies on you, this guy's invented one. Low income people shouldn't have to live in worse housing. Uh, Kevin, excuse me, can you just please go back to pouring the ram's blood onto the altar? I really don't want to talk about this right now. I have, I have, I have a question, which is: Would you rather live in a blockable in a in a studio house? Or in one of the like dormitories, or in one of the like camper vans that we've also talked about previously. Oh, uh, camper van, fuck, and- marry, kill, yeah, camper van, dorm, <laughs> yeah, right. G- g- genuinely, I want you to arrange those in order of preference. In like, you live in a startup camper van, you live in a startup dormitory, or you live in a startup shipping container. I choose the van. You you don't have to worry about being with other people who are in a startup dorm, which is like the number one concern. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be at some point in the future. That's going to be like the number one cause of suicide. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think we all agree that the dormitory is the worst yeah. one, and then we're just kind of split between the blockable and the I, van. I, anyway, that's the future of housing. I, so. I like the van because well, oh, you yeah. can also live in uh, TikTok influencer houses. That's right. <laughs> so. that's a, yeah, we're all getting a TF yeah, house. You have to get really good at TikTok so you can finally move out of your startup van. That's the, that's the goal. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Dance your way out of the uh, of the startup dormitory. Indeed. So, uh, hey, uh, noticing that we're we're running a little bit long, I want to throw to uh, Neo Dad and Q for final judgments on anything we have talked about today. 
Or on anything else going yeah, on in your life. Anything else going on in your life, with really. final judgment. Any final judgment Talk about your ex-wife. We don't care. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Has that bitch put on weight? Let us know. <laughs> I'm not talking about an actual real woman. This is a hypothetical scenario. Uh, the side effects may include uh, getting yelled at online. Yeah, I'm not allowed to give ex-wife advice legally. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, in, in conclusion, uh, wow, those lines sure seem to be being drawn. Uh, can't wait forward. To, can't wait to look forward and see what it's going to do on Monday. <laughs> That's right. We're we show. I'm. I know. I will be. Um, just out of curiosity, I do not have a position in GameStop. I will be uh, refreshing my browser. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you obsessively. Yeah, uh, yeah. You guys will be. I'm sure refreshing your know, various your know, Bloomberg terminals or you know other like. I am. I, I am solemnly buying a, a single share in Gaylord Steels, which is because their stock token is Gay MF. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're gonna pump that one. Uh, so hey. Um, Q and Neodad, I want to thank both of you for coming on and uh, and talking about this with us today. It has been a very interesting conversation. I am very pleased to have had it. Of course. It's always a pleasure to be now three-time, three-peat guest on Trash Future. Indeed. Yeah. yeah, see you in the director circle with the uh, the giant owl statue that we all yeah. worship. Don't forget to wear your cape and mask. Yeah, you can, you can, you, it's a, yeah, like you, Patrick Wyman, um, Wendy Lou, you can all hang out with this with the with the owl statue. And also, uh, uh, ne- Neo Dad, you know, we um we we are very pleased to have you in our our, our gold plus club membership. And uh, <laughs> with only a few more appearances, you two can join the director's circle. Yeah, we'll be sending you a beanie baby in the mail. Thank you for me. I want my challenge coins. I mean, right. come on. We're working on them. We are actually yes, working they, on they them. They literally they literally left us on red when we se- we sent them the thing saying, Yeah, we want Dave Courtney's face on this coin. And they just presumably someone read that and just closed their laptop immediately. <laughs> closed their laptop and immediately went to go and live in a van and start a new life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what is my yeah, life? That's right. Yeah. So um and also to all of our wonderful patrons, I want to thank you all very much uh for oh, continuing to best. to continuing to put up with milo <laughs> doing the sexy voice that's right um and to say yeah thank you for thank you for being here thank you for donating thank you for listening uh we will thank see you, for you living in our van thank you for living in our van with us and yeah. we will see you in a van down by the river we will see you on uh the next free episode next week that's right all right well, all right later goodbye. everybody